0: today for a few moments I'd like to speak with you under the topic of four timeless keys for spiritual wins. And I plan to speak from um, one of, uh, I think, a great chapter in the Bible, Joshua chapter 1. If you were doing a class or a series on great chapters of the Bible, certainly you'd pick Romans 8. But I think another one would be Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, of course, the great book named after Joshua, obviously the uh, successor to uh, Moses who will lead God's people into the promised land. And of course you know that Joshua is just a a prefiguring of Jesus. Jesus Christ is a new and better Joshua who leads his people, you and me, into a new and better and eternal promised land. Well, God is the hero of the story. And the fantastic thing about Joshua chapter 1 today is You get to back up and you get a a perspective from 30,000 feet on the Christian life, walking with the Lord. So I have four points. Here's the first one. Embrace the presence and leading of God. So four timeless keys for spiritual wins. First of all, embrace the presence and the leading of God. My friends, one of the great promises of God to his people and to you and me today is that the Lord is with us, literally with us, and will see us through. This is a gift of his grace. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God is giving us his grace, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He is with you. Now, listen to this from Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, that's not new information to Joshua. He knew that. What the Lord is saying to Joshua is, Moses died, but I didn't. Moses is dead, but I'm not. And we've got work to do, Joshua. Now then, you and all these people, you get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites, and I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, every place you set your foot, I'm there. You can't put yourself in a place where I'm not, says the Lord. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. One more time. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You say, oh, Ronnie, that's a beautiful promise. I wish the Lord would make that one to me. He has. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, this very promise is quoted to you and me. Here's what it says. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. In other words, stop obsessing over the life you don't have. Stop obsessing in miserable ways over the life you don't have. Be grateful and content for where you are as of today because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And our great God is with us. Literally, he is with us. And we believe that. And he leads us. He's with us and he's leading us. He leads us through this written word, of course, he leads us through his presence, through the Holy Spirit. He will always be leading you into new territory so that we don't get stale and stagnant. He will lead you a little bit at a time, a day at a time. You'd love that itinerary. Here's the itinerary, fully mapped out. But your job, you don't have a floodlight, you have a flashlight, and you go a step at a time. We're taught to pray, God, give me today my daily bread. But he is with you, and he will not forsake you. Let me be real specific. When you're going through your treatments, he is with you, and he will not forsake you. And when you're afraid and you feel alone, the Lord is with you. You are not alone. He will not leave you nor forsake you. When you're trying to rebuild that marriage, the Lord is with you. He will not forsake you. When you're looking to bounce back from a setback or a season of uh, resistance to the Lord, He is with you. And like that good father welcoming you, He will not leave you nor forsake you. When you're looking to step out in ministry and be useful for the Lord, you know, you're going to find your place and energize a group or lead a group or support a group or something like that. When you're looking to do that and it's scary and And you're taking steps of faith. The Lord loves that. He is with you and he will not forsake you. Point number two, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Three times God will tell Joshua to be strong and courageous in chapter 1. Let's start reading here at verse 6. So you be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. So you be strong and very courageous. He says it again. Be strong and courageous and do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Why did God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Because he needed to be strong and courageous. He would face danger he would face opposition he would face delays he would face disappointments not everything is going to go according to plan you be strong and courageous don't you be wimpy don't you be easily intimidated because the lord is with you now courage is not the absence of fear Courage is doing the right thing, the noble thing, the bold thing, the obedient thing when your knees are knocking. And the same God who is with Joshua is with you. And, folks, we got to be strong and courageous. When you live in a culture where your Christian values are in the minority, you just can't be easily intimidated. You've got to be strong and courageous. You can still be winsome, but you got to know who you are. And you know I love you, <laughs> but some of you way too insecure, way too insecure, way too easily intimidated. You love to please people, and it's good. To, I'm not saying we need to go around trying to just, you know, make everybody angry at you or us or anything like that, but know your values, know who you are, be strong, be courageous. Yes, be winsome, but don't be easily intimidated. Be strong and courageous. We can give God our weakness. He'll give us his strength. And I would ask you today then, what's God asking you to do where you need to be strong or you need to be courageous? Where are you prone to be easily discouraged and give up? What is that situation? Name it to the Lord. And remember this, when you act courageously, courage is contagious. And when somebody stands strong and bold for something noble and good, you reinforce and you fortify people around you. One of our former presidents served long before I was born, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, said this, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is much more important than fear. All right, here's point number three. Stay rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. Stay rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. All right, still reading from Joshua chapter 1. Here we go. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful. There it is. It's in the Bible. Success is good. Success to find God's way so that you might be successful wherever you go. And do not let this book what's written Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Keep singing it, keep teaching it, keep repeating it, keep reciting it. It's a book of the law, something written, but you keep teaching it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written, written in it. I'm underscoring that because you do know that the Scriptures are given to us in written form. When God gave the law to Moses, what does the Bible say? The finger of God wrote it. And when Jesus would quote the Bible, and when even Jesus was tempted, what would he say? He would say, it is written, written. Sometimes my wife will send me to the store, and if I don't write it down, and it may, it may not be a huge long list, but I, I've got to write it down or I get out my phone and put it in the little notes section. But if I write it down, there it is. I can sh- check it off. I, I see it. It's important that things are written. Uh, I heard about a Ph.D. student who was speaking with a faculty advisor, and he said, I think it's ridiculous that I have to write A dissertation, I should be able to just give a verbal presentation and you take my word for it. He said, I think that's a great idea and I'm willing to award you a Ph.D., just not in written form. (laughs) Some of you, when you finish schooling at whatever level, you wanted that diploma in written form. Chuck Colson said this, do you mean do I believe the Bible is true? Of course I do, don't you? Christians have no need to be intimidated. The evidence that God has spoken through Scripture is strong. The Bible's textual Integrity, historical accuracy, and transforming power attest to its unique status as God's Word. And when you remove the working assumption that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, then the very definition of God goes out the window. It goes up for grabs. What it means to love God first will depend completely then on what you pick and choose to believe about who God is and what He's revealed In the scriptures about his moral requirements of us (laughs) elizabeth elliott said we can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of the bible there in joshua 1 and it's still true today god says you stay rooted and grounded in my scriptures and what i've revealed to you and so People ask this question. You ready? Here it is. Do God's laws then change over time? I mean, God's law he gave to Moses, and and, and even the New Testament scriptures written a couple thousand years ago, do God's laws change over time? Do they sometimes go out of style, out of date? Does God change some of God's laws? And the answer is yes and no no, and yes. All right, let me use a illustration. Maybe a little silly, that's okay. So this past week, this past Wednesday, Noah on our children's staff, just great, great guy, had uh, gathered several of us around and, you know, had given us a little heads up of what was going to be happening that night you know, this past Wednesday night, at Wednesday night after after a Bible class,es Noah was planning to propose to his wonderful girlfriend Haley, and everybody was jazzed about that. They were celebrating with Noah. It's great, and there's you know, it's 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 loud, it's boisterous. But we gathered around him. We prayed over him. He had the plan of what was going to happen, and he was sharing it with us. It was a lot of fun. Well. Kennedy, who's on our you know, youth ministry staff, Kennedy Harrison. Kennedy, she's over here. Wave at us, Kennedy. Where are you? Where is she? There she is, right there. So there's Kennedy. And she's wonderful. She's fantastic. Well, Kennedy, I think, was on, on a phone call, and so but she when she finished, she she came out and there was a, you know our little group standing around still celebrating, and she said, Well, what, what's what's going on? And we said, Well, you need to come right over here front and center. And let Noah tell you himself. And so Noah then tells Kennedy, hey, I'm proposing to Haley tonight. And here's what Kennedy said in in response. She said, shut up. (laughs) uh, She said, shut up. Now, she said it in Kennedy style. In her way, it was like, shut up. And then again, shut up. And I'm standing here watching this, and everybody's just, you know, uh, bellowing and laughter and laughing and cutting up. And she just said it two or three times. And every time, everybody just reacts. Now, when I was a kid, I was forbidden to say, shut up. My parents would never allow me to say shut up, and I never said shut up to them to their face. (laughs) We forbade our children to say shut up to one another or to us, and they never did, again, not to our face. Um, But when Kennedy... Said, "Shut up," to Noah. It was obvious to me she wasn't telling him to just, you know, zip it and be quiet. I'm not interested in what you, what you have to say. I realized that they were not speaking the same language that I speak. They were speaking twenty-something language. And even though she, even though she said, "Shut up." What she was really saying is, Noah, this is exhilarating news. (laughs) I am overjoyed and I rejoice with you in this happy moment. That's really what she was saying, right? That's what she was saying. Now, that's not what she said. She said, shut up. So I thought, you know, even though I've had a rule over the years, I don't say shut up. It's like, hey, this is kind of fun. So I thought I might add it to my own repertoire. And sure enough, that afternoon, somebody shared something really good with me, and I said, shut up. (laughs) I did not get the same reaction that Kennedy got. Let me tell you, I I tanked on that big time. There's a difference between 25 and 65, and Anyway, the way she said it was fun and charming. And the way I said it, I just said shut up. And so it didn't. <laughs> so can a law change? Well, can God's laws change? Yes and no. No and yes. God gave law to Moses for the Israelites. And that law had three components to it civil, ceremonial, and moral. Sometimes critics of Christianity will say, Oh my goodness, you Christians are so hypocritical. You pick certain laws and certain commands that you want to enforce, and then others you completely ignore. And sometimes they'll go to Leviticus 19 that says you can't wear a garment that's made with two different kinds of fabric. And yeah, that's right. That was written to the Israelites at a particular time in a particular season of God's dealing with them. We're no longer under the Levitical code. Actually, we live under what the New Testament calls the law of liberty, the law of Christ We live in the fullness of grace. And God's moral code is still in effect. Ceremonial code, no. Civil code, no. But God's moral code, the Ten Commandments, if you will, and love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's still in effect. I'm not saved, you're not saved by perfectly keeping that moral law. But I will tell you, for the person who wants to honor the Lord, God's moral law is like guardrails showing you how to please God. It's guardrails showing you how life works. I mean, you can break the laws, but they break you. God's moral code is what the Holy Spirit within you is nudging you toward. And so, the commands that we follow are those commands and precepts that are found in the New Testament. And so, does God change some of His laws? Yes and no. Ceremonial. Civil? Changed. His moral code? No. And actually, that ceremonial law fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews says all those ceremonial sacrifices ultimately fulfilled in the one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And if you've not heard this in a while, let me remind you, His one sacrifice for you and me is fully worthy and capable of forgiving any sin, redeeming any person, and bringing anyone home to God, even you, even me. So back to the question, is it okay to say shut up? I would still say that if you say it in an angry, demeaning tone, it is not okay. If you can say it in a happy, charming, Kennedy 20 something tone, that's sort of a shorthand version for thank you for giving me this over the top information that's so wonderful and fantastic. And I, I rejoice with you and I'm happy for you. But the way I communicate it is I say, shut up. You know, if, that's your, if you can do it in a shorthand way, that's fantastic. I tried and struck out, all right? Ever seen the basketball uh, movie Hoosiers? Sure. Now, e- even though it came out in 1986, it's a classic. It's a classic. And it's based on a true story about this little small town high school team that makes it to the state championship. But they're going to be playing a team that's from a much, much bigger school. And they're playing in the University of Indiana Uh, You know, basketball, arena, the coliseum, you know, it's bigger than anything those players have ever seen or certainly played in, but the coach, played by Gene Hackman, knows that they're a little overwhelmed by all this, and so the day before the game, you remember this in the movie, the day before the game, he takes the team out on the court, and he's got a tape measure with him, and they measure how high it is from the floor to the rim. He so says it's at 10 feet. Here's a ten feet. Just like our home court back at our small school in our small town. And then he takes the tape measure and they measure from the free throw line to the front of the rim. Sure enough, 15 feet. Standard. The key to winning is you stick with the basics the arena might change but you stay rooted and grounded in the sacred scriptures for our time and our place on this side of the cross and the empty tomb it's a winning combination one more thing here very quickly contribute to the unity of God's people Contribute to the unity of God's people. Beginning of verse 12. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But listen to this. But all your fighting men, fully armed, Must cross over ahead of your brothers." And now notice the next phrase, "...and you are to help your brothers, until the Lord gives them rest, as He has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. And after that you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise." When I was in graduate school, one of my graduate school professors highlighted this section of Scripture. It's a fantastic application. Here's a map. So God's people are going into Jordan. But two and a half tribes say, rather than cross the Jordan, we like it better over here on the east bank. Is it okay if we stay on the east bank and not cross over the Jordan into the west bank? And God said, and Joshua said, yes, you can stay right over here. And this can be your land on the east bank. But here's what you have to do first. You need to go with your brothers and sisters cross the Jordan. You, you have your inheritance. You help your family to get their inheritance too. In other words, I don't want you... Cultivating the mindset that says, just what's in it for me. I'm going to contribute to the welfare, to the benefit, to the mutual good of the church family. I'm not just going to be that person that, you know, drops in occasionally and dips my toe in the church water if I need something. My friend, there are three times in your life when you're going to see significant spiritual growth. Here's the first one. When you become overwhelmed by grace and you realize how massive and wonderful God's grace is and it's there for you, God doing for you, forgiving you, working in you, beyond what you can do yourself. And so when you get grace, that's absolutely staggering. And it's a moment and it's a season of expansive growth and development. But here's another time. When you get the importance of surrender and you understand that full, enthusiastic obedience to God and surrender to God, it's not, as Jesus would say, his commands are not burdensome. But rather, when you get the, the, the beauty of enthusiastic obedience and surrender to God, and you see how good it is for you and how good it is for the people around you, that's a moment of growth. Here's a third time. When you really get the idea that I, I want to be not just a taker, but also a giver, not just a taker, but also a contributor And I'm talking time and talent and treasure where I'm saying, brothers and sisters, I'm with you. Listen, I want my inheritance, but I'm willing to march with you arm in arm because I want your inheritance as well. Okay. So embrace the presence and leading of God. Be strong and courageous. Stay rooted and grounded in the Scriptures and contribute to the unity of God's people: unity of purpose, unity of passion, unity of ministry. Now, I want to close with a little video from my favorite Rocky movie, which is Rocky II. And it's a scene in Rocky II where uh, Rocky's wife Adrian is in the hospital. She's had a difficult birth. Um. and she went into a coma. It was touch and go as to whether or not she would live. But she comes out of the coma. Their little boy is doing fine. Rocky is right there with her in the hospital room, and he's telling her that, listen, I know that you want me to maybe give up fighting. You see, Rocky has a, another scheduled bout with Apollo Creed, and he's been training, but not really. It's been a half-hearted, half-baked effort. But uh, something's going to happen to change his mindset. He's going to begin to think differently. Here you go. Watch this. Why don't you go get some sleep? Oh, no, no. I feel great. I feel great. Listen, I've been thinking, if you don't want me mixing with Creed no more, We'll make out some other kind of way, you know. There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. When? When. When? What are we waiting for? Take this! That's a great scene. You must admit, that's a great scene. And every time I see that scene, there's a statement in the New Testament that uses athletic imagery. And it said, We're not just playing games here, we run to win. And let me just remind you, Jesus Christ has won for us the great victory. And we were singing earlier today victory in Jesus. And because of Christ, The presence of God is with us. Because of Christ, he leads us. He's for us. And we can partner with him in advancing his cause today. Now, um, so my friends, play to win, all right? Play to win. And as people who are going through treatment will say, I want to win today. Win today. Win today. All right.